Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. UF, it's uh, great to be with you. Thanks for coming. You could be in your room bundling up with blankets because it's cold today or like cramming for some test that you have. And uh, yet you're here. So I'm thankful you're here. And uh, this semester, I think you guys have been around. So, you know, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And it's this account of Jesus's life and ministry. And uh, we've been calling this series, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And what we mean by that is, first of all, that Jesus equals everything. Uh, That's the first implication of it. But we also mean that uh, adding anything to Jesus, uh, any other requirement besides him, uh, to be happy, to be fulfilled, to have life, uh, doesn't work. Uh, that's what Jesus and the Gospel of Mark teach us. And we're going to be seeing that again tonight in our text, uh, which comes to us from Mark chapter 2. And uh, just to give you some context of what we are going to read, uh, up to this point, if you've been around the last couple of weeks, you, you've seen that Jesus has been kind of going, as he teaches and heals, he's been disconst- uh, deconstructing these ideas that we have about who God is what God is like and what God's kingdom is like. Uh, He declares the kingdom of God, that God uh, is king of the world and is establishing himself uh, as the eternal king. And uh, in that context, uh, Jesus, uh, we come across this story of Jesus uh, calling Levi. So let's read it together. Uh, He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came to him and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? Your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins." but new wine is for fresh wineskins. Pray with me again. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come to this text, we need you to help us make sense of it, and we need you to change us through it. Uh, We come to you uh, from many different places tonight, 
uh, some of us weary and tired, some of us uh, more energized, some of us come uh, in faith, and some of us come with doubts, and uh, no matter who we are and where we come from tonight, we pray that you would uh, work uh, your truth into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so you may not know it, you I think most of you might don't know this, but you're looking at someone who has had some airtime on television. And uh, specifically, I've been, I was on a series of Subway commercials back about seven or eight years ago. I have a picture here. This is eight years ago. This is what I looked like. That would be me. And uh, I was on, and, and I'll tell you the story of how it happened. Uh, eight years ago, I moved here to work on the UConn campus, and I was, uh, before the school year started, I was walking around the campus, as you can see right there by Gample, and uh, this film crew was there, and they said, hey man, you want to be in a Subway commercial? And I said, sure. And uh, they immediately began to film me doing all kinds of things like that, or uh, in one other scene, uh, they, they were actually, like, I was biting into a sandwich, and, like, and this commercial aired for, like, four years. Like, this was on, like, they used that shot in, like, 17 different versions of, like, a Subway commercial, so it went on forever. Uh, I don't think they showed anymore, thankfully, but... Uh, Anyway, so I'm, there's this film crew there, and they're filming me biting into this sandwich, and I, like, wasn't into the sandwich, you know, like, it's Subway, it's like, I didn't, and they, they were noticing that, and they wanted to get me to smile while I ate it, and they were like, you got to look like you're happier to be eating this sandwich than you currently are, and so I'm like, and so what happened is that these guys on the film crew started, like, telling a lot of, like, crude jokes, like, vulgar jokes as I'm biting into the sandwich to try to get me to laugh. And I'm really laughing at, like, how funny this situation has now become. <laughs> and, uh, and at the end of it, they're, they're like, we finish filming. They give me a $5 Subway gift card for that, which is, I should have gotten a lot more. And, uh, and this guy who's in charge of this is like, man, so what's your major? And I'm like, I'm not actually a student here. Like, I work here. I'm a pastor uh, with a Christian group on campus. And immediately he goes, oh, I guess we shouldn't have been telling dirty jokes then. And I was like, well, that doesn't really, that doesn't bother me. And he goes, oh, well, you must not be a conservative pastor then. And I, wanted, I, I thought about that, and it's kind of fun, like, I am, like, if you define conservative like pastors do, which is, like, how much of the Bible do you believe and how much, like, of truth is found in the Bible and how important is the Bible, like, I am probably the most conservative pastor on this campus. But his assumption was, if you're serious about God, then you must fit some kind of mold or of, like, good and proper uh, because God doesn't have anything to do with riffraff like us. In other words, God associates with good people, proper people. And that assumption was just as operative in Jesus' day as it is today. And people thought that being close to God was dependent on following rules extremely carefully. And, and it, that excluded a lot of people, as it does today. And uh, when these religious people met Jesus, they expected him to get right on board with what they were about. And instead, the, like, 
as the religious people look on, Jesus says, actually, like, I'm about something completely different than you religious people. I'm about the gospel, and uh, you're about religion. And what I want to do tonight with this text is just think about, I'll get myself off of there now, thank you. I can text you that picture if you want it. Um, I want us to just think about the difference between religion and the gospel as we look at this text and we see Jesus in this interaction uh, because there's a re- way of being religious in which you can miss Jesus and miss eternal life altogether. And so I want us to look at the difference between religion and the gospel. And the first difference I want us to think about is that religion is mundane and the gospel is scandalous. Uh, in this passage, Jesus starts, he kind of resumes teaching and he passes Levi, this tax collector, and he calls him to be his disciple. And he does. Now, the background with tax collectors is these guys were the worst. Like, these were Jewish people. Like, this isn't Israel. They're Israelites. And yet, they have agreed to collect taxes for the Roman Empire, which is not, like, people in Israel were not happy about Rome being there. But these were Jewish people that agreed to help Rome. And not only that, but uh, to collect taxes, they extorted people. So because their, sal- their take-home pay was kind of dependent on getting above and beyond what Rome required of them. So these guys are traitors. These guys are extortionists. These guys are the worst uh, in that society. And uh, so Jesus, that's who Jesus calls. And then he ends up at this meal with all these other unsavory characters. And remember that up to this point, like we've, Mark has already been trying to make clear that Jesus is God. Imagine God sitting at a meal with you. Like imagine the language that's being thrown around at this gathering that God is at. And the Pharisees don't like it. And they, they think, you know, why would he eat with such scum? And the Pharisees were, they're religious leaders. They were really well-respected experts on the law, very good guys. Like they, if you met one, you'd be like, that's a good guy. Uh, he does all the right things. And Jesus' response to these Pharisees' objection is, the healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And what Jesus is doing is he's contrasting the two people that, types of people that are around him. There's religious people and tax collectors and sinners. And it's, and the result is that, like, Jesus ends up hanging with, like, God ends up with the sinners, the tax collectors and sinners. What he's saying is that the people who think they have it together don't have it all together at all. In other words, the gospel is scandalous. Now, think about how different that is from religion. Where religion says, religion says if I perform, if I obey, I'm accepted. And it's very mundane and boring, right? And that's why a lot of people's critique is that every religion is kind of the same, right? Why does it matter what you believe? Aren't all religions the same? And they kind of all are. And it's really tiring, too. Like, you know, in religion, how do you know if you've done enough to please God? There's no way you could ever know. And in contrast to that, the gospel that Jesus proclaims says, since I am already fully accepted in Jesus Christ, therefore I follow him. Therefore I obey. Now, I want us to think about what this means for us. It means, first of all, that it's possible that some of the good things you're doing 
things like reading your Bible, going to church, being part of RUF, managing your time and schedule well, having your act together. It's possible that those could be keeping you from God because they're making you feel like you have no need for him. What need do I have for God if I've got my act together, if things in my life are just really good? And our tendency is to try to manage our life so that we don't need him, right? Like it doesn't feel good to need. The hardest part about believing, the reason many people are not believers is because it's hard to need anything, to need anyone. Like we hate, if, if, if Jesus had to save me, that means I'm a charity case. I had no other option than for Jesus to come and save me. And what this text is saying is that Jesus only came for charity cases. Um, Okay, second biographical tidbit about Lucas tonight is that uh, when I was 16, I had a brain tumor, a benign tumor. And uh, thankfully it was benign and thankfully it was surgically removed and, you know, I'm like, like, that was like 19 years ago, and I'm feeling good, and so I'm really thankful for that. Uh, but when I tell people about my brain tumor experience and brain surgery and stuff, uh, typically they think, tell, they say, like, that must have been so awful and painful and all this stuff. And it kind of was, but I always say, like, the worst part about it was telling people. I'll give you an example. Like, or like the, the pity, the look of pity on people's faces when I would, like my teacher, like I never read The Great Gatsby because my English teacher just felt so bad for me that she just like was like, you don't have to read it ever. Even though everyone else did. That was kind of cool, actually. Um, but uh, I can remember having to tell my lacrosse coach, like I was on the JV lacrosse team and, you know, 16 year old me uh, had to go. Like, after practice one day, and be like, yeah, so I'm not going to be around ever again because I having, like, I have this brain tumor, and i got to have surgery next week. And, you know, his jaw drops, and, you know, what... It sucked to have to say those things to because, you know, people don't know how to react, and they pity you, and it makes you feel bad, and, you know, we don't like to have... We don't like to be the one with needs. We don't like to be the one uh, that is the charity case. And in that sense, I was. Like, I had a big problem. And it's the same for us in our sin. Like, the, the dark parts of our life, the dark things in our heart, it's so hard to admit, like, yeah, the problem is me. It's in here. Like, I'm the problem. Uh, I can't do this on my own. Uh, we hate un- un- admitting that underneath everything I do, like, my heart is still very ugly. And yet the good news of the gospel is that it's those of us that have problems that are welcomed by God. Like, it's those of us that have ugly hearts that God goes to and eats with and welcomes in so that he can change us. Uh, you know, for God, like, like, those of us that don't have our life in order, those of us that struggle with bad things, like, that's who God goes for, goes after. Uh, do you see how mundane religion is compared to that? That's, what, like, what Jesus is proclaiming compared to religion is totally different. And I, I want to move on now to think about what is so different. And the main difference is that religion is rules and the gospel is news. It's a proclamation of news. And religion is rules. 
Uh, in this scene that we just read, people are beginning to wonder, next part, like, why don't you, your disciples fast? Fasting was a regular part of Jewish religion. And uh, the background is that the Jewish law required one day of fasting a year for Israelites. And that was on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And, uh, but Jewish tradition over time kind of added more and more kinds of fasts. And these Pharisees, who were like the most respected people, had this mentality of, you know, if one, one day of fasting a year is good, if God likes that, let's fast twice a week. So like if one day is good, how about 104 days? That's how they approached God. You know, like God must want this. So let's just like, let's go, let's prove that we are like worthy of him. And, you know, and it was this sign of, like, the more you fast, the more serious you must be about God. And so their question is, like, well, Jesus' disciples don't fast at all. And his response is, how can wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Now, think about what Jesus is saying there. He's calling himself the bridegroom, right? And what he's alluding to is the Old Testament, which all of these guys would know. They're experts in the Bible. And there's these parts in the Old Testament as it progresses where God begins to call himself the husband of his people. And what Jesus is therefore saying, he's like implicitly saying, I'm that God. Like, I am now here. This changes everything. And you guys are not in the ballpark. You're talking about fasting. We should be feasting. And what you need to see is Jesus doesn't have a problem with fasting. Jesus is pro, like, fasting can be a good way, uh, to, a good thing to incorporate in your worship. But Jesus has a problem with people judging the quality of their relationship with God by the way they outwardly perform in a religious way alone. Uh, because the gospel is not about what we do, but it's about what he has done. And he uses this weird metaphor that uh, probably didn't make sense to you. It didn't make sense to me the first time I read it, uh, of unshrunk cloth, sewing a patch of unshrunk cloth on something, and and, uh, the new wine in the old wineskins. And what both of those images are kind of bringing out is like uh, trying to do something new with something old, or trying with something old. a way I would kind of describe it is like if we were to modernize this image, we would say like what Jesus is saying is that like these Pharisees are holding up a CD to an iPhone. Like they're like, why isn't this working? Right? Like, we're, like it's this, it's totally like they have some similarities, right? Like music, like you can play music on an iPhone, but like you can't play a CD on an iPhone, it doesn't work. And it's this way of saying, like, you cannot take me, Jesus, the one who's come to save you, and kind of add that on to, like, this old way of, like, believing that God is happiest with us uh, by our performance alone. Like, they don't fit together. It's, this is new. Like, Jesus is saying, I've brought something new, and it changes everything. Uh, for us, this may seem kind of obvious, but that's, our tendency is to live like these Pharisees. Uh, I'll share how it looks for me. You know, I say I believe in Jesus. You know, I, like, I believe that Jesus is God. He came. He died for me. I believe I'm accepted by God through him. Uh, but I still often live my life as if 
my standing with God, my eternal security is based on my performance. So I begin to, you know, when I mess up, if I mess up this week, I, I start to think like, well, you know, maybe I shouldn't pray. Maybe God's kind of had it with me. He wants me to like back away for a while and kind of make things right. Or, you know, you know I had a bad week. I cheated on a test. Like I, my eyes strayed and I like saw the answer on someone else's test and I copied it. And so I cheated. Or uh, I indulged that habit that's sinful that I again and again and again. Or whatever it is for you. And the way I respond to that is maybe I think, you know, maybe if I get really busy with lots of good stuff, I can win God over again. You know, maybe God will bless me if I get serious now. If my response to messing up is that I get serious. Uh, In other words, I'm reverting back to religion because I desperately want to earn God's approval rather than admitting that I'm a failure, uh, that I have a messed up heart. And allowing him to instead give me his approval. How are you trying to earn God's love today? Like, what are you doing today as a way of earning his love? And how is it wearing you out? Like, the thing about religion is it wear, religion alone wears you out because it's never enough. You can never do enough for God. And you can never know where you stand with religion alone. But the good news of the gospel is this. God's come to fix us. Like the reason Jesus came is to fix us in all the ways that we mess up our lives, all the ways that we mess up the world around us. And he came to fix us by living the life we should have lived. He came to fix us by dying the death we deserved to die. And if our trust is in Jesus, meaning that, again, we put our weight on him, like this is my source of life, this is my hope. Uh, If we put our faith in him in that way, And what that means is that God will eternally love us. We have the security of knowing we have his love. Jesus earned it for us, no matter what we ever have done or will do. Did you mess up really bad this week? You cannot outsin grace like this. You cannot outsin God's grace. Now, maybe you're sitting here wondering, like, but Lucas, come on, like, you got to still be good, right? Like, God still cares about holiness, right, and purity. Like, we need to get things right. Because it sounds like you're saying it doesn't matter what you do. That living a holy life isn't important. How does that work? And I want to, to kind of explain that. I want to share a story with you about a friend of mine. Uh, my friend is married. He's a little older than me. And he has now six kids, uh, three biological and three adopted from other places in the world. And I actually got to be there when, he, uh, when they welcomed home their first adopted child, uh, a child that was born in Uganda. And uh, he was abandoned in a taxi cab in Uganda, ended up in an orphanage. Uh, his, my friend's wife and him heard about this child, uh, decided to adopt him into their family. So we welcomed him home. It was wonderful and glorious. Like one of the best things I've ever seen in my life was welcoming this child home. And I... After that, uh, it was a while, uh, some time went by before I saw him next, my friend. And when I did, I was asking him, so how's it going? And I was, you know, like, how's it going with your son? And, and he was, you know, saying, yeah, it's really great, but there's some really hard things, too. And one of the hard things was that their son 
that they had adopted in school was like hoarding food in his cubby. Because that's what his life was before, right? Like that's how he learned to survive in his previous life. And so they had to like work through this like trauma and it was difficult. And there were other things like that. Uh, For instance, uh, when they would reach up into the cabinets to uh, get something out, their son would go like this because he thought he was going to get smacked by them. And the beautiful thing about that child is today, he's amazing. He's doing great. He's totally different than he was in those early days. He's like in high school now. I want you to think about what changed him. Did rules change him? Hey, stop hoarding food. No, what changed him was a proclamation of a new reality. You now live in a new, like, probably lots of hugs and kisses, right? This is your new reality. Let's take a look at our pantry and see how much food we have. Do you know that you live now? That old reality is gone and that new reality is here. That's what changed his behavior and the way he was acting was this new reality that he heard about from his loving parents. And I want to suggest to you that that's just like, you know, Putting food, like when we sin, that's just us hoarding food in our cubby at school, like this boy did. Because we're living under condemnation when we sin. Sin is the way we act when we know we're doomed. But for Christians, there's a new reality. It says, although your sin had alienated you from God and there was no hope for you, Jesus came and died in your place. And now he lives to bless you eternally. God is now for you. So the last thing you should ever do is wonder where you stand with him. You are God's treasure, so you don't need to build an identity anywhere else. Like, there's no better identity than being God's treasure. You can fail again and again and again. It won't change that you are his treasure. Or how about this one? Jesus rose from the dead in your place, which means that you can never truly die. I mean, your body can die, but you can never truly die, which means you don't need to be afraid of anything especially your future, especially how your life is going to turn out. And he's working all things for our good, so then that means you can obey him. You can trust him. You can do what's right even when you don't want to. Uh, he, he's ushering in a, in a world of eternal bliss so you can forego pleasure today. You can live a life of service today. You can live a life of sacrifice today because your future is so sure. You see how the gospel is so much better. Do you see how the gospel is actually the power to become holy? It can't happen any other way. And the only thing you need is need. The only thing you need is to come to Jesus and say, I need, I need help. So let's close by praying that we would become those kinds of people. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, uh, we will do anything to avoid being needy, and you know that. And I pray that you would just give us grace in this community uh, to be able to be transparent with one another and transparent with you. I pray that we would find life there as you welcome us with open arms. And I pray that you would heal our hearts. I pray that you would heal the ways we go after things that you say are destructive for us. I pray that you'd heal us by just immersing us in this new reality that says that God came to heal the sick. And I pray that you'd give us grace to be able to say, yeah, I'm sick. I need help. We'd be transformed forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.